a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Oh, I'm trying to maintain a a sense of optimism, but man, I got to tell you, sometimes I think I just need to to take a little break from Twitter. Actually, I'm I'm doing it right now (laughs) just to maintain my sanity. I know there's some stuff on there that's probably speculative to be, you know, diplomatic, but there's a lot of stuff on there that's like, holy cow, I didn't realize that was going on as well. Uh, Where to start today? How about, well, let's... uh, I, I want to share a couple of things with you that, that uh, kind of made me uh, chuckle. Caitlin Johnstone I just is so, so blunt. And and I can't actually say the word that she uses, but uh, um, she says, so uh, Democrats mostly don't want Biden to run again, but he is running again. And there also won't be any Democrat primary debates while he runs again. You, you knew about this, uh, Marianne Williamson and uh, apparently Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Well, they can run if they want, but there's not going to be any debates. And Caitlin's observation is that seems more undemocratic than most U.S. presidential campaigns. So she suggested a couple of campaign slogans for Biden. Biden 2024. Eh, you know you'll vote for me anyway, you losers. (laughs) It's this next one, though. Biden 2024, because F you, that's why. (laughs) I know, it's it's crude, it's a little crass, but I think she kept, she captured the, the, the general attitude of uh, whoever is, is, you know, the puppet master, whoever's running uh, Joe Biden in air quotes. Holy cow. You know, and, and there, I, there's a great article today by James Howard Kunstler on uh, LewRockwell.com talking about lies and more lies and uh, basically the big, bigger and bigger lies. You know, if you're going to tell a lie, Goebbels said, make sure it's a whopper. Well, there's a lot of lies out there, you know, that are being told by the Biden administration. And by the way, it's not just them, okay? The politicians lie. This is true of just about all of them. But it's so bold. It is so at odds with what your very eyes could tell you in so many cases. I still don't know how people could, could get behind it unless, of course, you know, their their political survival depends on it. In which case, I understand perfectly. Hey, we got to protect each other. We're all going to hang here. But, uh, yeah, you know, James Howard Kunstler says, look, there, there's some stuff that's come out now, you know, particularly the uh, the letter from the 51, you know, intelligence agency types saying that uh, the Hunter laptop was just Russian disinformation. It's now on record that that was a lie, that it was a fabrication. And the purpose for that fabrication was, in the words of the guy who got the ball rolling, to help Joe Biden get elected. So I don't know. I don't know what the future is going to hold. I do know this. I cannot get enthusiastic about uh, the, the presidential campaigns. And and I mean no disrespect. I know there are some very ardent Trump supporters among my listeners, and I'm, I'm not trying to tell you that you're deluded or anything like that. But I'm just telling you, for me, even Trump has, has lost a lot of his luster. Not that he isn't, uh, a, you know, clearly an alternative to, you know, the status quo. But I, I just get tired of the... I, I get tired of, of the, the ego and the narcissism that goes along with politics, not just him, all of it. 
In fact, I want to start out with uh, with a great piece from uh, Thomas L. Knapp. I think this was this one sums it up pretty nicely. It's titled 2024. We can do better or can we? Thomas L. Knapp says on April 25th, U.S. President Joe Biden announced his intention to seek re-election in 2024. The question we're facing, Biden says in his announcement video, is whether in the years ahead we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, he continues, and I think you do too. Now, Tom says, of course, it's not about what anybody wants the answer to be. It's about what the answer actually is. The number of our rights doesn't change because we don't get our rights from presidents, elections, or constitutions. We get them from what the Declaration of Independence refers to as the laws of nature and nature's God. We have them because we're human beings, not because Joe Biden or anyone else sits in the Oval Office. Now, the freedoms Biden refers to are entirely a question of whether or not he and his fellow politicians respect those rights. More than 50 years in politics proves that, no, Biden doesn't respect them. His version of a right is the privilege of living as Joe Biden or or as Joe Biden orders us to live. That's a really great observation, by the way. And those orders can turn on a dime. Note, for example, the skid marks left on various campaign trails by his sudden switches from pro-life to pro-choice, 2019. From pro-death penalty to anti-death penalty, 2019, from marriages between a man and a woman to marriage equality, 2012, and from build the wall to build the wall, but phrase it differently, 2013. It's almost as if he says whatever he thinks his base wants to hear because he thinks that's what his base wants to hear so that he gets reelected, just like his most probable general election opponent, Donald Trump. Now, Thomas L. Knapp says, look, every four years I hear from upstart dark horse candidates that we can do better. But can we? Political power lends itself well to holding on to political power, so much so that that seems to be its main use by those who grasp it even once. Which explains why our two most likely future presidents are two age-befuddled geezers who plainly don't live in the real world now if they ever did. And why Capitol Hill is swarming with senators who can't find their car keys without pulling staffers off to look for a good sale price on adult diapers duty to help them. He says the only real term limit is death of old age. And America's looking pretty long in the tooth itself. I know, some will say, well, that's a little bit harsh, but that's one of the things I like about Tom is he, he tells it as straight as he can. And that's, that's why he is one of the voices that I turn to when I want a solid take. Don't sugarcoat it. Tell me what you really think. So, no, I, I'm not enthusiastic about the, the prospects for 2024. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's just because I don't have faith in politicians in general. I believe politics is about as amoral of a practice as you're likely to find, seeing as politicians will say anything they have to say in order to get elected. And then once they have power, they do anything they need to do in order to keep the money flowing to keep them in power. In other words, to build up those re-election campaigns. Yeah, the power of incumbency is a real thing. So I tend to set my, <clears throat> my interest and my sights a little bit lower in terms of, you know, okay, who really is going to have the effect of, of uh, being able to, to wield influence wisely in defense of my God-given rights? And for me, invariably, the answer always comes down to somebody who's uh, usually closer to home. 
I mean, I, I might be inclined to, to lean towards a gubernatorial candidate if they're particularly principled. But I, I think one of the dirty secrets of politics, and not, not many people realize this, if you've never run for office, you don't understand that you cannot be an honest person. In other words, you cannot honestly represent yourself and have any prayer of being elected. Now, that doesn't mean that automatically every person who runs for politics, you know, is, is a used car salesman who's just, you know, glib and sleazy and telling you whatever you want to hear. But the, the truth is, there are constituencies out there, there are voting blocks. If you're not mirroring back to them what they want to hear, they will evangelize against you, they will rally, and you will be unelectable. There's a great article out there. I'll have to see if I can find it. If I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. It was from James Altucher. Years ago, he was considering a run either for Congress or for the U.S. Senate. And he said, you know, the most disturbing realization he came to was, I can't run as myself. I cannot be an honest person. I can't speak the truth without equivocation and expect to be elected. And and it's not so much even just the voters yeah, the voters are fickle. Oh, tell us what we want to hear. Okay, I heard what I want to hear. I'll vote for you. He said it was, it was often the the political managers, the you know the campaign people, the basically the the people who finance and, and run the campaigns. Yeah, they want you to show us. First of all, show us on paper. Work it out for us. Show us the numbers. How are you going to raise the money necessary? And you got to be able to show them, okay, well, I've got, I have these many donors, this many donors of this much money that, that will back me in my bid for power. But even then, he says, you know, one of them darkly says, well, we have some other concerns too. What that meant was you can't be honest. And so he, he withdrew from his, uh, his race that he was going to be in because he said, I really, I can't do this and be an honest person. Now, I know some people will think, well, that sounds like, like you're just, uh, you know, throwing up your hands in defeat. No, I'm just acknowledging the reality of what politics is, what it's become. And I'm asking you to consider the possibility that despite all the promises, despite the hype, look, I love a good pep rally myself, but uh, is it really going to change anything? I, you know, the honest answer is, is probably not one that many of us want to hear. So... My suggestion is maybe, just maybe, there are other things that we could be focusing on that would actually have some kind of influence or some kind of impact on the world around us. But the trouble is for a lot of people, well, those things aren't politics. Exactly. (laughs) Which is why we should be doing them. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. You know, as, as I hold forth every day on this program, I, I have to, to keep myself in check. Because there are times where, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to believe my own press releases. Well, you know, truth of the matter is I'm a voice of freedom out here and I'm just, you know, holding back the tide of, uh, of tyranny. No, really I'm not. I'm one. Mostly inconsequential voice out there, but uh, but I, I here's here's the thing that I think makes this is my selling point. Here's what makes me a viable reason for why you should spend your time at least considering what's being shared on on this program. I approach this with a sense of purpose and with a sense of mission, as if I don't care if there's one person who's listening. 
If you are that one person, I'm going to give you the very best effort that I can. I'm going to try to give you information that will be credible, that will be timely, that will be empowering to help you better understand what's going on, uh, not just where the threats are, but also where the positive things are. And, and I don't really care how, how big or how small the audience is. Because I don't know. I have no way of really knowing. I mean, I look, I could, I can delve into analytics on the podcast side and say, okay, well, we can see this many downloads, this many listens. And there's an audience out there, at least according to, to those numbers. But I'm not doing this out of a sense of, yeah, it's going to make me rich or it's going to make me famous. Somewhere along the way, I came to understand those are fleeting things. Those are temporary conditions. They don't last. More than anything, the reason I do what I do is because I believe freedom matters. I believe it is the most important cause of our time, of our lives, for that matter. You cannot live a good, productive life if someone is denying you the freedom to make your own choices and to follow your own conscience. And so what I'm trying to do here, and, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe I'm making some progress, I'm trying to persuade people to own that to think of their freedom as something that they would be willing to stand up for, to be, to be reviled for, misunderstood, called names, and, and even hated for. But because it matters, because it's theirs and they want to claim it, they, they'd be willing to stand up. I'm here to hopefully give them the encouragement and some intellectual ammo just in case they need it. And it's not easy. It is getting tough. And I'm not saying it's like, poor me. Oh, it's so hard, you know, to sit here and talk to you like this. No, it's sorting truth from fiction is not easy. And I have never seen such a concerted effort as I'm seeing right now to try to control what people are allowed to consider and what they aren't. You know, brainwashing doesn't even begin to cover the kind of manipulation of public opinion and people's thinking and just how they view the world that's, that's going on. This is the biggest, most complicated, and in some ways most effective propaganda apparatus that mankind has ever seen. I don't think there's ever been anything like it before. And so without getting too caught up in personalities, you know, Tucker Carlson being let go from Fox News, I know that is, that's very concerning to a lot of people. It's concerning to me, not so much from the sense that, well, he was the one source of truth that, you know, we could count on, but the man definitely spoke enough truth that he was willing to say things that other people within the media simply won't. Not because they're not true, but because, whoa, that's, uh, he's gone off the uh, three-by-five index card of, of approved opinion. And, you know, considering that Sunday night, 60 Minutes, ran its puff piece on Ray Epps, to me, it's, it's a terrible tragedy that uh, Tucker was let go before he had a chance to respond. Now, thankfully, Sasha Stone, in her podcast and her substack, does a really good job, I mean a very commendable job, of how Tucker Carlson might have responded to 60 Minutes and Ray Epps. I wanted to share this with you. This is, this is her imaginary Tucker Carlson monologue for Monday, April 24th. It's pure gold. Tucker says, Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. No doubt you've heard of the name Ray Epps. You may have heard his name many times on this broadcast in connection with the events of January 6th. You've heard me tell you that our government was lying about what happened that day and that they haven't stopped lying and that they have an entire media empire helping them lie to you each day. 
But those compliant patsies are never going to be threatened with legal action like a defamation case to shut them up, just like all the talk about hacked voting machines after 2016 by Jill Stein and many in the media never led to defamation cases like the one Fox just settled with Dominion for $800 million. Oh, no. If you've learned one thing from watching my show, Tucker might say, it's this. It's always okay when they do it, but not when you do it. They are special and you are not. They get to say what they want and always have. They don't like it that I feel that I also that I also feel like I have the right to say what I want and that defamation is only provable if they can prove I intentionally lied to hurt the reputation of Ray Epps, which I did not. In this imaginary uh, monologue from Tucker Carlson, Sasha imagines he might say, when Chuck Schumer called out my boss, Rupert Murdoch, from the Senate floor for helping to exonerate the wrongly accused Jacob Chansley in the court of public opinion, he did so for a reason. They all belong to the same class of very powerful oligarchs who run this country. Did you think we were actually living in a democracy or constitutional republic? Guess again. If Chuck Schumer tells Rupert Murdoch to silence me and my show, Murdoch will listen. They go to the same parties, don't you know? This is embarrassing for people who don't like being exposed. That isn't the only reason they want me gone from Fox. And if you don't see me tonight on your television screen, you'll know they finally did fire me. But the 60 Minutes episode was a warning. It was like that scene in Godfather 2 when Frankie Pantangeli's brother is brought into the courthouse and suddenly the testimony goes away. How do I know that? Well, because Ray Epps now has a fancy lawyer from Team Blue called Michael Teeter. He appears to have been threatening a defamation case against Fox News and this program. If Fox News were to suddenly pull me off the air the morning after 60 Minutes aired, that would mean avoiding a potential lawsuit by Michael Teeter and his powerful friends. No official censorship necessary. Fox would have known that the cease and desist letter came just a few weeks before the 60 Minutes segment, and that would have been too hard for me to resist. Of course, I would have to respond to Ray Epps' idiotic comment that I was obsessed with him. I would have to respond to such a blatantly biased, lazy report, even for 60 minutes, on January 6th. I could not and would not allow them to have the last word with sloppy reporting and like this. And there's an actual clip of Ray's interview with 60 Minutes. On the 60 Minutes broadcast, Epps is cast as someone who had a change of heart halfway through, even after saying the quiet part out loud with, they're going to think I was part of it. But anyone who knows what happened on January 6th knows plenty of protesters were trying to stop the violence, including Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by Capitol Police. Everything Ray Epps says he did on that day, every, others have been arrested and lost jobs for, demonized, yet somehow he has become a media darling, constantly covered by the likes of the New York Times and now 60 Minutes. They don't even respect the American people enough to tell them why. They just say, it's a conspiracy theory. Shut up, peasants. Here's what Influence Watch says about Teeter and his company, The 65 Project. The 65 Project was devised by Democratic consultant and former Clinton administration official Melissa Moss. It is a project of LawWorks, a group with no website or public financial disclosures. LawWorks has previously received grants from Public, edu- public Policy-Oriented Foundation Democracy Fund, and is a fiscal project of the Franklin Education Forum, a nonprofit organization that provides training and support to advance and broaden the appeal of the progressive cause. The Name 65 Project refers to the number of lawsuits filed by supporters of President Donald Trump to overturn the 2020 presidential election. 
Oh. Teeter, on behalf of Epps, has sent a cease and, cease and desist letter to Fox, as told to the New York Times in March. i got to tap the brakes here because I'm coming up on my own break, but uh, would you not say that Sasha Stone is doing a pretty passable job of, of covering what, uh, what Tucker might have said? Okay, we'll come back to it in just a few moments. I think you'll want to hear some more about her observations. By the way, she is a remarkable source of information as well. If you haven't subscribed to her Substack, I would encourage you at least take a look. I become very fond of Substack, so fond, in fact, I started my own, which, by the way, is a totally non-political kind of thing. But uh, it's, it's one of the few remaining platforms that isn't throttling back on, you know, inconvenient truths. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Just a quick shout out to my sponsors, including MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, Borelli.com, and TMCPNation.com. So I'm sharing this article from Sasha Stone. This is one of her Substack essays, and it's it's an imaginary monologue from Tucker Carlson. Had he been able to have his Monday night show as he thought he was going to have before Fox News pulled the plug on him, he would certainly have talked about the Ray Epps puff piece from 60 Minutes. So uh, Ray Epps has hired a very high-profile attorney, Mr. Teeter, who sent a cease-and-desist letter to Fox as reported by the New York Times back in March. They say, a lawyer for Ray Epps, the man at the center of a prominent conspiracy theory about the Capitol riot, sent a letter on Thursday to the Fox News, to Fox News host Tucker Carlson demanding that he publicly retract his false and defamatory statements that Mr. Epps had worked as a government provocateur on January 6, 2021 and helped to instigate the mob attack. The letter to Carlson from the lawyer, Michael Teeter, also demanded a formal on-air apology for the lies that have been spread about Mr. Epps by others at Fox. The fanciful notions that Mr. Carlson advances on his show regarding Mr. Epps' involvement in the January 6th insurrection are demonstrably and already proven to be false, Mr. Teeter wrote, and yet Mr. Carlson persists with his assault on the truth. My, that, that sounds so lawyerly. Now, back to uh, Tucker's imaginary, uh, imaginary monologue. So far, though, he would say, I haven't been fired. My friend Megan Kelly announced on her show that there were still negotiations underway and that I'm still under contract. I haven't been told exactly why they pulled me off the air on Monday, but I think we can put two and two together. If you step back and look at the bigger picture, you can plainly see what the game has been all along. The same way the government stuck its tentacles into social media to subvert the Constitution. They have to more or less do the same thing to get around the First Amendment if they want me off the air and to censor Fox News. For the Murdochs, if they can shut me up, they might be able to salvage their network. Why? Because the administrative state, the Democrats and rhinos, want to destroy Fox News. They liked it when Fox was just material for their late-night hosts like Jon Stewart back in the day or Stephen Colbert. But my show became too powerful, too popular, and too influential. They have to shut me up for the same reasons they have to shut you up and shut Trump up or anyone who goes against their official narrative, their reality, their facts. This is war. This is civil war. It's a cold war mostly fought in back rooms with fancy lawyers and social media users, but it is war nonetheless between the powerful and those without power. The elites versus the populists. 
If they can shut me up, they win a very big battle in that war, and honestly, that serves the Murdochs too, because they like being part of the upper crust that runs the country now. Those late-night comedians? They're basically flattering court jesters giving Joe Biden virtual smooches every night. They're not funny. They're not watchable. Now that the public found out Rachel Maddow was lying to them about Trump and Russia, who cares what she says anymore? And don't get me started on Joe Scarborough. I'm sorry that this is what they're serving up to Americans. I'm sorry that anyone should have to listen to his self-righteous prattling. Nicole Wallace, what a shill. She can't say anything without smirking her way through it. Is that supposed to count for news? Everyone knows that people watch my show because they're sick to death of the pretty little lies the left tells itself. Their jokes aren't funny. Their movies are unwatchable. There is no such thing as news anymore. Their blue check army on Twitter, shame about the blue checks, RIP, are thought robots. It's all so boring, so flat, so fake, so insincere. They're all so good, so polite, so careful, so afraid, so very, very afraid. They're afraid of everything. Freedom of thought, most especially. They hate words. They hate books. They hate anything that challenges their groupthink. When you stop being able to tell stories of ordinary Americans when all you care about is a tiny little bubble of elites cloistered into a royal court, then you have nothing to say, and no one wants to watch your show anymore. I was never going to do that. I had to scratch where they didn't want my fingers to reach, and that is why people tuned in. The more I ripped off the veneer of phony BS that passes for news, the more my audiences liked it. Like the scene from Network, remember that? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. So that's been the game all along, right? To silence Fox News and make me shut up. Kind of like how they got rid of Howard Beale at the end of the film Network. Let's just move on to the next thing, because if we don't, the lawyers will never stop coming, the lawsuit will never stop coming, the media and the board army of blue checks will have to keep coming for Fox. Isn't that what Sandy Cortez wanted all along? Wouldn't she be doing a happy dance if the Murdochs fired me? Oh, wait, she did. I like to think that this is still a free country, that rich lawyers and corrupt politicians and compliant journalists would not use their power to silence their critics. But then I remember what happened to Matt Taibbi, threatened with prison time by a member of Congress over his testimony about the Twitter files. And when we look at what Taibbi wrote about the me- just wrote about the media blackout of a story bigger than Watergate about how they did rig the 2020 election by not just burying the Hunter Biden laptop story, but falsifying a document to lie that it was Russian disinformation. Here's a quote from Racket News. By any marker, this is an enormous news story. If we go by the usual measuring stick of American scandal, the Watergate story, this potentially meets or exceeds that on almost every level. Does it reach into the White House? Check. Was it a craven attempt to subvert the electoral process? Check again. Did a presidential candidate engineer a massive public deception? Yes, resoundingly. Did it, resu- did it involve intelligence agencies? Yes, and these weren't amateurs like Nixon's plumbers. These were 50 of the most powerful people in the intelligence world, including five former heads or acting heads of the agency in Morrill, John Brennan, Leon Panetta, Michael Hayden, and John McLaughlin, conspiring to meddle in domestic politics on a grand scale. End quote. And we're not supposed to talk about that on a major cable TV or major cable news show? Does anyone think Joe Scarborough's tiny brain could ever think, oh, there's a story here. How about Maddow? No, not one of them, not even Bill Maher, not the New York Times. No, no, and no. So Rupert Murdoch is now joining them, refusing to stand up against the tide and stand for journalism, the First Amendment, and the truth. 
They default to the terms conspiracy theory or far right because it, like the big lie, insurrectionist and extreme MAGA Republicans, is code for their unified flock to fall in line and never question them. They are incurious. They are scared. They will do anything to cling to power. No government in my lifetime has come this close to the level of authoritarianism we're seeing at the hands of this one, now dangerously close to violating the First Amendment again, through, through by, though by proxy with their lawyers, who can simply sue or threaten to sue an oligarch like Rupert Murdoch, and that works just as easily. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons they might want to fire me. In fact, there's a clip included from the Jimmy Dore show. They have all the money, all the power, all of the culture, and all of the government, but they don't have what they need and want. Freedom of the mind. That will always be just out of reach because the price you all must pay to be left alone by them is to think like they do. Believe what they believe. Shut up when they tell you to. She imagined Stucker would have said that uh, I could have been one of them. I could have stayed silent when they told me to. I could have shut up about Ukraine, Big Pharma, and Jacob Chansley, and Sandy Cortez, and the riots in the summer of 2020. I could have been a good little boy and collected my millions. But instead, I stuck to what I believed was right. It isn't only about the money. It isn't about being liked. It's simply about one thing, being able to sleep at night and wake up and face myself the next day. No matter what else I do in life, I have to be able to do that. Otherwise, I could not close out my show every night as the program that is the sworn enemy of lying, pomposity, smugness, and groupthink. I wish I could say I will see you tomorrow night. I know so many of you count on my show for relief against the madness of the left, but instead I'll just say, I'll see you when I see you. Wow. I got to tip my hat to a Sasha Stone. I, you know, I don't watch Tucker Carlson much. I don't watch that much media anyway, okay? I'm, I'm pretty disconnected from media, and I don't, uh, I don't use it a lot to inform my worldview. But I see his clips, and there's times where he has commented on things where I'm just like, man, I'm really glad this guy is speaking up. I think she captured the spirit of Tucker <laughs> about as well as it could be done. And isn't it interesting? You know, some of the things she points about, he was telling more truth than the network felt like it could handle. I'm including in my show notes today an article from Douglas Andrews, Tucker Carlson, Too True for Fox. By ousting its most popular and most populist personality, weak-kneed Fox News made it clear that it doesn't have the guts it once did. Marvelous article. It's it's top-notch. Now, again, this is not that we should all be marching in lockstep. I'm not suggesting that, boy, we ought to, we ought to make sure that all of us are just, you know, putting, putting aside all of our differences and just chanting in unison. I think we need people who push back, but I'm sad to see one of the voices that, that I think was pushing back more effectively than most has, uh, has been kicked to, to the curb for the moment. I don't doubt for a minute that... Uh, Tucker Carlson's a pretty talented guy, and he's going to land on his feet. I think, actually, there, there's very much a market for the kind of uh, truth-telling that he does. So I wish him well. Wherever he, uh, wherever he lands, I think he's going to land not just on his feet, but probably at a dead run. And in the meantime, those of us who are not Tucker Carlson's, but nonetheless committed to the same cause of helping people see beyond the official lies... We'll just keep doing what we're doing as well. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, thanks for hanging with me. Thanks for making it to the final segment of today's show. I know it isn't easy. I do have a tendency to go off on tangents and sometimes just to go off. But I have two two quick articles I would like to share with you. One is, again, I want to recommend uh, Martin Geddes. His, uh, his Future of Communication substack is so good. He is, he's in Great Britain, but uh, man, this is a guy who is, is not just talking the talk, but he is walking the walk and standing up for, for himself. And in, in the same process, he's teaching everybody else how to stand up for themselves when the people who we pay to protect us turn into predators. And so his circumstances might be slightly different, but the same battle is going on here. And he has an essay called The Only Sovereign in the Village. It's kind of a play on, uh, on a, I guess there was, a, there was some kind of a satirical play, The Only Gay in the Village, from Little Britain, a famous early 2000s comedy sketch show. But as the only sovereign in the village, he talks about what it's like to stand up for yourself and to recognize, you know, that, hey, there's a wrong that's being done here. I need to stand up. I need to um, assert my freedoms. I need to push back against official tyranny, no matter how polite or how well-dressed it may be. And how everybody is, is trained from a very early age to, to inflict suffering and punishment on anyone who, who thinks outside the box. It's the crabs in a bucket analogy. And it's, it's just a brilliant article. So I have it included in today's show notes. I hope you'll check it out. Today being the 26th of April, 2023. You can go to thebrianhideshow.com to, uh, to get the lowdown. Now, without being too uh, self-serving here, I want to share with you also, this is an article that I wrote seven years ago for St. George News. And, you know, at the time... It seemed like maybe it would be a little bit of a stretch. The title is Gender Justice, Testing Our Allegiance to Reality. But what has happened in the last seven years, I'm, I'm proud to tell you, this thing has actually aged pretty well. And included in this article, which is linked to in my show notes, you will find a video of a number of college students uh, being questioned by someone to, to show how their commitment to ideology is trumping their commitment to reality. So I'll share the article which describes, you know, what goes on in this, this particular video. One of the most disturbing aspects of George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984, was its depiction of an entire society that was forbidden from embracing reality. Orwell's character, Winston Smith's job at the Ministry of Truth, was making inconvenient facts disappear down the memory hole. His government could tell the people any lie, and it was accepted without question. They lived under a form of intellectual bondage where their own understanding was subject to another's direction. The citizens of Oceania were required to participate in their totalitarian leaders' delusions or risk punishment as purveyors of thought crime. A similar type of mental tyranny is beginning to take hold across our own society in the form of so-called gender justice. Now, don't take my word for it. Watch what happens when a man conducting interviews with college students tells these students that he identifies as an Asian woman or a seven-year-old girl or being six foot five inches tall. And as you watch this video, you will see each student struggle not to acknowledge the simple, unambiguous reality right before his or her eyes. It's, it's very revealing. 
These students have been trained by cultural revolutionaries to believe that it is their duty to affirm another person's self-image regardless of how it conflicts with reality. And even though their interviewer is not being overbearing, virtually all of the students feel obligated to ignore reality in order to support his particular fantasy. Now, these young adults aren't just, they're not being stupid. There's no malicious intent in their answers. It isn't about being polite or simply treating others with respect. Thanks to their indoctrination, they are struggling to toe a line that requires ignoring truth according to how another person directs them. And the student's inability to courageously answer simple questions based in reality should make us wonder about their ability to answer questions that actually matter. Imagine how difficult this would be when dealing with an entitled person seeking a legal remedy to compel others to participate in their fantasy. Now, this unhealthy reliance upon external guidance in the use of our own intellect was addressed many, many years ago. German philosopher Immanuel Kant, or is it Kant? I call him Kant. Describing enlightenment wrote, Knownage is the inability to use one's own understanding without another's guidance. This knownage is self-imposed if its cause lies not in lack of understanding, but in indecision and lack of courage to use one own, one's own mind without another's guidance. That makes sense? This insatiable desire to control what takes place within the minds of others. That's the hallmark of what we often refer to as political correctness or cultural Marxism. By the way, I would recommend the exceptionally succinct explanation written by Claudio Grass regarding what cultural Marxism is and how it is fomenting the birth of modern thought crime. Those cultural revolutionaries seeking to create uniformity of thought have enjoyed their greatest success in subjugating intellectual freedom on our nation's campuses. In fact, just as an aside, so much so that a person cannot go to a college campus today and speak even the mildest truths that are inconvenient to these young revolutionaries without being shouted down, physically assaulted, and threatened. That's how bad it's become in the last seven years. This is why high school and college campuses have become the latest battlegrounds over gender identity issues. And witness how campus officials fall all over themselves to to avoid being seen as insensitive. Now, keeping in mind that this was seven years ago that I wrote this, the battle over gender in restrooms is just one more example of the public being told that reality no longer counts, even in the most intimate areas of life. It's the perfect wedge issue to drive between individuals who will eagerly stake out the moral high ground on the basis of either equality or public morality. And of course, this has sparked numerous social media wars that still manage to miss the larger principles at stake. The real question is not whether objectively identifiable biological characteristics or mere personal conviction are what determine one's gender. No, what's at stake is whether any person has an enforceable right to compel others who do not share their belief to act as if we do. The dystopian world described by Orwell in 1984 is actually a mirror image of the utopian world envisioned by today's cultural revolutionaries. Going back to Claudio Grass, he explains how the goals of the party in 1984 and the goals of our modern social justice warriors are very similar. Quote, it's all about the creation of identical individuals who do not come together and exchange ideas as they operate like mindless machines. Probably NPCs, 
would be another good descriptor. The Frankfurt School, he says, and its followers have therefore clearly proved to be enemies of freedom and the conscious human mind. End quote. Now, my point here is not that, boy, we ought to, you know, armor up and go out and just fight these people in the streets. What I'm suggesting here is is something that they fear even worse than that. And that is, we cannot allow the fear of being labeled as insensitive to override our willingness to live in reality and exercise our own understanding. In other words, what you need to defend is is the, the space between your ears. Our minds are the last real measure of freedom we can still exercise without being surveilled and directed. And that means willingly allowing ourselves to become intellectually enslaved in the name of so-called social justice is not an option. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been getting pretty crazy. And I still think one of the... I'll have to see if I can find the clip. But uh, this, this minister who compares... You know, the, uh, the LGBTQ plus religion with uh, the traditional Judeo-Christian religious ethics. It's, it's just a 180 degree opposite spin. Case in point, you know, uh, he talks about in the New Testament, Jesus told his followers to take up their crosses and deny themselves. What do we hear from the LGBTQ activists? Yeah, it's like, no, you indulge yourself. You do you do whatever. You follow that dream. Jesus told his followers to be humble, meek. Didn't he say the meek would inherit the earth? Yeah, what does the LGBTQ plus uh, movement base its, uh, its dynamic? It's pride. The opposite of being meek. The opposite of humility. There are a lot of places where it's, I mean, it's just, it's just the 180 degree reversal and, and it's, it's really fascinating and a little bit spooky too, because, uh, you know, there's, there's a, uh, there's a Jacobin certainty of how righteous we are that we can engage in violence. And actually you see people starting to encourage violence on behalf of, you know, people have to believe and chant in unison with us or else. I think they're trying to provoke some violent backlash thinking that that's going to be the excuse for government to crack down on their enemies. But I don't think they understand how deep that snapback could be. This is The Brian Hyde Show.